It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello and welcome to the show. You know, I couldn't be more amped up to talk with my guest today. Joining me is Jeff Beals, best-selling author, speaker, real estate expert. But we're going to talk about one particular topic today. You know, I've always thought that one of the toughest sales jobs on the planet is being a big-time college sports coach. You know, they have to be recruiting players virtually 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, and their increasingly lucrative livelihoods depend on selling 16, 17, 18-year-old boys and girls to commit to attending their academic institutions. And I experienced a little bit of this because my son was on the receiving end of some of this when he was being recruited to play Division I sports as he was graduating from high school. But at the same time, I was thinking about the intensity and the trust and the personal connections and relationships that have to be formed to be successful recruiting kids and how those translate, those same skills. It's really interesting to hear how they translate into business-to-business sales. Well, Jeff Beals, my guest, wrote the book about this called Selling Saturday's Blue Chip Sales Tips from College Football and he's going to share some of that with us today. So, Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sandy. I appreciate being a part of it. So, before we get into talking about the book, is take a minute, introduce yourself, and tell us really how you got started in sales. Yeah, I, interestingly enough, I started in sales with quotations around the word sales when I was recruiting students for colleges and universities, not not football players, just all variety of students. And eventually, I became in charge of. Uh, also public relations and marketing and fundraising as well as student recruitment. And I always thought back in those days that what I was doing was not recruiting and not fundraising, it was selling. And then um, about 15 years ago, I went into commercial real estate. So I truly was in a traditional selling role. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've just just believed that everything I've ever done, I've been trying to uh, find a way to help someone realize how my uh, company or my employer's goods and services is right for them. Right. And so I've been in selling essentially my whole life. Oh, there you go. So which college did you work for? I worked for the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, then the College of Santa Fe in New Mexico, wow. and then uh, a small uh, healthcare college called Clarkson College in Omaha, Nebraska. Okay. Not to be confused with Clarkson College in Potsdam, New York. Completely different. <laughs> Got it. Okay. So... Let's talk then about this inspiration for writing this book, Selling Saturdays, Blue Chip Sales Tips from College Football. What was the inspiration for you to write the book? You, you know, I'm a college football fan, like so many people in America are. Cornhusker? I am. I grew up in Nebraska and I live here now, so so that's my uh, that's my allegiance right there. But, but I like uh, the whole sport. And, and as a fan, I've always followed the recruitment of uh, my favorite football team. And one day I was listening to the radio station that carries uh, my alma mater's football games when I was driving to work, and they were talking about this star football player from Los Angeles who had just verbally committed to, to play for us. And, and, and the story behind this guy and everything that the coaches had to do to get his commitment was absolutely fascinating to me. At the time, I already had one book out that talked about uh, networking and personal branding and sales. And so, and I was looking for the topic for a next book and it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks and I decided that's it. I'm going to go and interview all of these legendary famous college football coaches. 
about how they recruited, i.e. sold their team to the star players that everyone else wanted, and then use that as a way to help people who are in B2B sales or even B2C sales to some extent do better at their craft. Well, I think one of the, the biggest sales jobs seems to me as you embarked on this process of writing this book was actually getting the time of these coaches because, you know, from the news, we're also familiar about the fact that if you follow college sports at all, that these guys are working 17 hours a day, 365 days a year. If it's not during the season, it's, you know, off season, doing recruiting on planes, relentlessly traveling to see, you know, kids play their sports and talk to their parents and them and so on. So how did you sell them on the idea of participating in this book project? Well, Andy, it was a challenge. And, and before I answer that, I'll tell you that, uh, yes, you are 100% correct. They are insanely busy, even by busy people's standards. And in fact, one guy I interviewed, and I purposely went after him because of his background. He's the former CEO of TD Ameritrade and is now a head football coach. Right. Uh, and, Coastal Carolina University, I believe. Yeah, Joe Mowgli is his name. And, and for many years before he even got into finance and the whole Wall Street world, uh, he was a football coach. And so and I asked him and he said, uh, during the course of the season, it is you were busier as a football coach than you are as the CEO of a Fortune 1000 company. So so you're right. It is incredibly busy. But one of the things I, I got a couple existing or who were then current head coaches to agree to do the interviews. But most of them were hesitant, partly because of the time, but mostly because they didn't want to share their secrets. And so I decided early on, you know, really what I should be doing is going after the legends, the retired football coaches, because A, no one likes to tell stories more than old retired guys. And, <laughs> right. and B, um, these guys have nothing to hide anymore. And they opened up. And for some of them, I think it was therapy that <laughs> some author was interviewing them about how they uh, how they sold their team. And did they then provide introductions to current coaches that opened the door for you? Yeah, somewhat. Uh, and I, I did talk to several currents. And, and a lot of the current coaches I talked to were actually assistant coaches, which was useful because that gave me more of the nuts and bolts. But really, the stars of the book are the, the legendary former coaches like Barry Switzer and Tom Osborne and Hayden Fry and R.C. Slocum and Philip Fulmer and, and so many others. Those guys that had won national championships or had coached All-Americans and had been doing it for a long time, but they no longer had to keep secrets anymore. So what was sort of the first lesson you learned about how they organized themselves to sell? And, and maybe even before that, let me ask a question to precede that is, all right, you're talking to the legends, they've been out of the game for a little bit. Has it changed substantially? So, you know, the coaches today, they're doing with the kids, there's a whole social media that didn't exist when Barry Switzer and, and Hayden Fry and so on were recruiting kids to Iowa and Oklahoma. Uh, you know, how's that process changed in your mind? Well, it, it's changed a fair amount tactically, and it's changed somewhat in that the NCAA rules are different. But strategically and operationally, at least from the 30,000-foot view, it's changed almost not at all. And, and, and so, so most of the changes have been tactical, i.e., Social media is an issue now, and whereas obviously that didn't exist when Hayden Fry and Barry Switzer were coaching, as you mentioned. But but the fundamentals of how do you organize your time, how do you make a strategy, who do you go after, the sales mechanics that you use when you are communicating with a prospect, exactly the same as they were back in the 50s and the 60s. Well, let's talk about that first one then. So organizing themselves to go out and prospect or to sell 
that preparation phase, that planning phase. What were the lessons you learned from there that listeners could apply to their businesses? Well, first of all, you have to have tremendous dedication. Uh, you know, all of the organizational work won't matter at all if you're not completely dedicated to this and a very disciplined person. Vince Dooley was the head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs back in the 1980s, and he would take a vacation with his family every summer for two weeks. And about three or four days into the vacation, he would start to get really uncomfortable and antsy and had all these visions and imaginations of his competitors talking to all of his top recruits. And he would literally go up to his wife and basically say, honey, I'm sorry to do this, but I got to go for a couple days. He'd leave the middle of vacation for a couple days, go and meet with recruits, then come back and enjoy the rest of vacation. I don't know if you're married or not, Andy, but yes. I am, and that wouldn't work out very well in my <laughs> no, family. No, no, that never <laughs> did, as a matter of fact. Um, so, from a planning, strategic planning standpoint, see so yeah, how did they how did they map out again? Yeah, how did the how was the coaches going about mapping out because who they're going to call on, you know, territories, who gets assigned to do what, the assignments just the level of activity that needs to take place. How do they plan that? Yeah, there are a lot of different things that you can do. And and, and first of all, you have to know that the the head coach is like a CEO who also sells. And and so, you know, most of the time in a a big company, the CEO only does, you know, major deals uh, and all that. But, you know, this CEO, uh, a football coach CEO, has to be talking to to 16-year-old boys. And so, what, what he typically does is he assigns one assistant coach as a recruiting coordinator. And the recruiting coordinator is the person who, uh, as the, the title would indicate, coordinates the prospecting, um, uh, the qualification. And then when they start to get into deeper qualification uh, in terms of, you know, what position can this guy play for us? Who's our competition? Uh, uh, you, know, what are, you know, what are the things he values? Then the assistant coaches get involved in that. But, but the big schools, you know, places like Texas and Tennessee and USC, they all have a staff of people who are kind of at the beck and call of the football salesmen, i.e. the coaches. And they have to be because it's, it, it's more difficult than the typical selling job. If, if you right now are, are a successful sales rep for a large company and, you know, let's say you take home $300,000 every year. So you're doing well. Um, that's all you do, right? You mm-hmm. You're busy. You're okay because that's all you do, and, and perhaps your company provides you with some good resources, but that's your only responsibility. If you're an assistant coach of a football team, you're doing the full-time job of a successful sales rep. At the same time, you're developing game strategies and coaching the existing players year-round. So, so you have to have a big staff with a lot of support. A lot of them, uh, a lot of the teams, uh, what they'll do is they'll have a war room which is literally a a locked room uh, where all sales-related information, i.e. recruiting information, can be displayed without being disrupted or uh, no concerns about anyone messing with it or anyone else seeing that they're not supposed to see. And so they're they're very compartmentalized. This is a recruitment area in the office, and on their schedules they have compartmentalized recruitment times. And do these assistant coaches and the recruiting coordinators and so on, do they have – staff meetings i mean are there sales meetings you know weekly that you know here's the activity level that you should have been making this number of calls this number of outreaches on social media and so on emails whatever's allowed with nc2a regulations you know you do they have the metrics they're following absolutely you are 100 percent correct and every year that goes by the metrics get more and more complicated in fact i would say 
that the analysis of those metrics is probably more frequent and more detailed than the sales metrics and analysis at a lot of major companies. And, and the reason for that is that the prospect pool in college football is far smaller than the prospect pool in almost any other business. In other words, or for instance, I should say, there are only a few hundred young men any given year coming out of high school that have the physical and mental and emotional capabilities to be difference maker football players at the collegiate level. Yet there are 125 Division I football teams, all with 25 scholarships a year to fill. So the prospect pool is shockingly small. So you're going to have to, the metrics and the analysis of said metrics are more important than they are in most industries. And through most times of the year, you're not going to have one sales meeting a week. You're going to have multiple sales meetings a week. But it's interesting to think about, though, is that it seems like one of the lessons you draw from that, though, is that in most business to business, and certainly my contention with the companies I work with, is that you know one of their primary failings is they don't qualify enough, mm -hmm. right? That they're too lax with qualification. They're too willing to spend time with prospects that ultimately aren't going to sign with them. And what you're saying is that these guys really can't afford to do that at all. I mean, they have to be very targeted and yeah. very precise in their qualification. And it seems like that's really a great lesson for business in general to learn. Yeah, they, they have to be heavy qualifiers. Again, they by NCAA rule, they can only take 25 customers uh, per year. And uh, so you have to make darn sure that those customers, your 25 recruits, um, are outstanding and have a very high level of retain uh, retention, uh, because uh, you know if you have a retention problem, it's awfully difficult in the football salesman world to just go out and get some new clients, uh, you know, because of the rules, you know, of the artificial environment that they, they operate in because of all the rules. They have to wait to the next cycle, so to speak. So so yeah, they qualify. They qualify by studying film, and they're going to study all sorts of uh, you know entire games. Uh, for multiple players. And then on top of that, they're going to be interviewing their high school coaches, the high school assistant coaches, the principal, the teachers, the guidance counselors. They go out and they meet the girlfriends and the brothers and the sisters because the qualification comes with such high stakes in that business. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm looking at the analogy of, of, let's take it away from selling to customers, but to recruiting new sales candidates into uh -huh. your organization. You're trying to scale up your sales team. Gosh, you know, the, the level of, of reference checking that most companies do is shockingly low, right? I mean, right. some of these things that you've talked about in terms of the depth they go to because they understand what's at stake. Mm -hmm. It seems like companies too often forget that. Yeah, oh yeah, they do. And, you know, and I think companies are particularly laxed when it comes to, to their sales force uh, recruiting because in many cases those uh, salespeople are 1099 contractors or even if they're W-2s, they're 100% commission or maybe small base. And it's hard to, to get good salespeople that want to work under those conditions. And so a lot of times I think companies are, are tempted to kind of maybe look the other way if there's a little bit of a red flag just because you've got a talented, successful person who's you know willing to be a, a contractor for you. Sure. Willing, but willing, on the other hand, you know, they're not yeah. taking the steps to say, yeah, let's use the analogy of, of looking at film, right? I mean, there's no yeah. film necessarily to look at, but you know, they can do a much deeper dive into someone's track record. You can, anytime there's a, 
you know, I give the advice to companies is if there's a fact on a resume, they, the candidate needs to validate and verify the fact. Yes. Right. Yes. So that's, that's analogous to looking at film, right? Because you can see the performance on it. Yeah. But and, and, what, and, and if, okay, go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I mean, companies have, they have a lot at stake. I mean, the statistic is that it's, uh, you know, if you have a sales hire and it doesn't work out, it's the cost to you is about seven times the salary. Oh, yeah. That's the impact yeah, it, you have a failed sales hire. So, if, you know, it's a $100,000 a year person and they fail and something you could have caught or should have caught during the interview process, that's costing you close to three quarters of a million dollars in opportunity costs and real costs. So, why aren't you digging more deep with the way these coaches do with these 16, 17-year-old kids who are unformed individuals in so many respects? Yeah, and, and yet, um, a lot of times these uh, college football coaches do fail to do that. For instance... Let's say you've got uh, what's called a five-star recruit. This would maybe be the top uh, 20 to 30 kids across the United States coming out of high school. They're they're so good that um, they're projected to essentially come into a college team and be a starter, Mm -hmm. Uh, almost almost a lock to be an an NFL player. You know, they're so good. Well, sometimes these coaches will see an athlete who has that type of ability, and you know – grades could be an issue or you know maybe he's got a little affinity for smoking weed or whatever the case may be yet he's so good that the the coaches get blinded by talent same thing happens you know you get a person who's just uh, so gifted as a communicator and uh, so energetic and and so gregarious and, and so much charisma and and sometimes when you're searching for a new salesperson it's easy to get blinded by talent that way as well yeah well, that's good. I want to pursue that when we come back from the break. A follow-up question on that. So my guest today is Jeff Beals, uh, author of the book Selling Saturdays, and we'll be right back to talk with Jeff further. Hi, this is Andy. Connect and Sell is used by sales reps at nearly a 1,000 companies, including hundreds of technology startups and several Fortune 500 companies, to overcome the challenges of getting prospects on the phone. Companies using Connect and Sell grow their revenues faster by enabling their sales reps to have more sales conversations in 90 minutes than they could otherwise achieve in an entire week. Connect and Sell can be deployed directly to your sales reps, or you can take advantage of their outbound on-demand service, which delivers qualified prospect meetings scheduled directly on your sales reps' calendars. Visit connectandsell.com to learn more about how Connect and Sell can start filling your pipeline today. So welcome back. My guest today is Jeff Beals. You can check Jeff out online at jeffbeals.com. So we're talking about recruiting and verifying the qualifications of the kids and how that applies to validating, verifying the qualifications of sales candidates that you might hire into your company. You know, colleges go to great depth, as you said, background checking, looking at film, looking at their ability. And I had written a blog post earlier this year about comparing sales hiring to how the NFL evaluates these kids as they come out of college as to whether they're suitable to join their team and the depth they go to do that and why companies aren't doing that with their own people that they hire. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the the stakes are so incredibly high um, that it's foolish not to. And and the NFL, just like my book is college football, but the NFL is the same thing. They're only allowed to draft seven men per year. And, uh, and, and, and they're, uh, success greatly depends on you know the, how that team performs and how those players do. I mean, they've got a big coach's salary to play and, and huge stadiums to fill. And so they take it very seriously. I mean, personality tests and the background checks that, uh, that you wouldn't believe. You're right. Companies hiring a sales force need to think the same way. 
Yeah, and I think taking it back to the selling front, as you you made such a great point, is that you know the coaches a Division One program, you get what twenty scholarships, twenty five scholarships a year. Yeah, twenty five. Twenty five scholarships a year is they all have to count for something. So if you look at most typical businesses and say, okay, well, how many transactions do I do in a year? You know, some people are very transactional. They may have thousands, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of companies are selling products where 25 of the right sale would be an incredible year for them. Right. And yet they're out wasting time on all these prospects because they're trying to hedge themselves, right? It right. seems like one of the lessons here is that they do a fairly good job of identifying who these qualified prospects are, then they go all in on these kids. And, oh, yeah. And I think that that's a lesson for businesses that too many people are always trying to hedge their bets, right? I need to have lots of prospects in my pipeline. And mm-hmm. really, the op- I found the opposite is really true. When you're in a high-stakes selling environment, having fewer that you're absolutely going to close is a much better approach. It was really, it's almost like sort of Cortez burning the ships, right? I mean, you're, you're going to make sure you get those deals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and these college football coaches, they, well, the funnel starts out pretty big. In fact, uh, a lot of times the staff will evaluate about a thousand players early on, which is mm-hmm. that, that, and that early on evaluation is done by assistants and interns and, and, and recruiting employees, not the full fledged coaches. But Andy, you're right. They narrow their funnels pretty quickly, they, they narrow the funnel early, and, and they get to a point where they, uh, through their qualification, are you know really working um, that that 1,000 goes to 150 pretty quick, and then that 150 goes down to uh, you know a, a 90 or a 60 pretty quick, and then you get to the point where you you get your 25. The tough thing is uh, kind of figuring out where you are on on the pecking order and how much resource you put in to dream prospects if you really have no business getting those dream prospects. Exactly. I let's say there's a a player who is suitable for Alabama and Florida State and Ohio State. And you're Boise State. State. Yeah, or Boise State, right? You're Boise State. Boise State's a good team. They're usually in the top 25, but, you know, they're way out in Idaho and they have a small stadium and that sort of thing. You know, how much... And it's blue. (laughs) How much much effort can Boise State justify in going uh, after a player who can also have his pick among Ohio State and Alabama and USC? Well, you have to evaluate that based on his interest level and a few other things. But you you have to play that game and kind of figure out where you are. And if you spend all your time going after pie-in-the-sky prospects and and you're the University of uh, New Mexico and Albuquerque, you're, you're probably being foolish. Yeah, and I, I talk about this in, in my book about qualification is that too often people think qualification is that yeah, I'm qualifying somebody that has an interest in buying something like what I have, right? Mm-hmm. So I call this category qualification. They, they're in my category as opposed to I'm qualifying somebody who wants to buy exactly what I'm selling, right? which is really what you have to do. Yes, so yes. if you're a Boise State or the University of Mexico, you have to sell a kid on exactly what you have. Mm-hmm. And that they're a fit for that, and they're not a fit for Alabama and the others. Yeah, and and the Boise States are are going to get that five star, uh, freakish athlete sometimes if perhaps the kid grew up a Boise fan, maybe lives in Seattle, which is not too far away. Mom and dad uh, went there. Mom and dad went there. I mean, who knows? There there are ways. And, and if that's the case, then then you're going to say, okay, we're going to allocate whatever resources are necessary to land this guy because it makes sense through our qualification efforts that. 
we could reasonably see him here and he could see himself here. Right. And that's part of qualification is, is that, you know, if you're looking at qualifying a customer, a potential customer, and you think they may be a bit of a stretch as part of your justification to yourself, to your manager, to the bosses has to be that there is a compelling reason why they would make the decision to buy from you. And you have to know what that is. Right. In right. your case, yeah. in the college recruiting, as you talk about, it could be that, you know, mom and dad were alumni of the university or something, but, but there has to be that reason. Right. Right. And, you know, Andy, one of the real affirmations for me as a, as a sales speaker and consultant is that the things that I've always believed um, are the critical components of selling were definitely shown to be the critical components of football selling, as I call it. So in other words, I've always believed that the number one way that you land a client or a customer is to figure out 100% exactly for sure what that person values with no assumption whatsoever and then delivering exactly what it is they value. And, right. and the it's, key being no assumptions. No assumptions, yeah. And those assumptions are so easy to make and they can be so deadly. And you know, many football coaches gave me story after story in which they made those assumptions and they, they lost star players. One, well, I can recite you chapter and book of companies I know and salespeople I know that have made the same problem, made made the same mistake, excuse me, if they've assumed something that just wasn't in evidence. Yeah, and, and something sometimes the thing you assume is something that on the face of things is so obvious and so small and so trivial, but for a particular client in a given situation, it can be the difference maker. It can be the difference between yes and no. What's often the seems, and especially on the college side, and the thing that directly relates to business sales and business-to-business -business sales is this whole issue of trust, right? Because mm -hmm. you talk about in the book, you bring out, and you know, people who follow college sports are aware, is that you know, the parents are really the key deciders, the mother, the father. And how do the coaches go about building that trust, and you know, what are the lessons that you can be drawn and applied to business-to-business -business sales in terms of trust building? Because that really is that first step. Oh, yes, yes. And I, I still think trust building is, is important in pretty much any type of profession. You know, for, for an example, um, I just engaged a company in Chicago this week. Um, and I won't get into details, but what they're going to be doing is really important for uh, my business. And uh, one of my biggest hesitations and the thing I spent so much time on, other than just saying signing up with them right away uh, a, week, a couple of weeks ago, was I had to make sure I, I could trust them. And you do that by, you know, talking to other people that have used them, asking some difficult questions, doing your background research. And so I think these, these college football coaches get these young men and more importantly, their parents, because as Barry Switzer says, mamas pack the suitcases. Um, you, you've got to build trust sequentially. And in the spirit of a college football book, I, I called it the trust depth chart. Mm -hmm. uh, bottom of the depth chart is rapport. And after you got rapport, then you can focus on an ongoing relationship. Usually something happens in that relationship and it can happen early that presents you with a moment of truth. If you pass it, suddenly you got trust. And once that exists, the fourth and final rung of the depth chart is a, an agreement, a done deal. And I think we have to run through that with all of our prospects. And once they become our clients, we have to keep running through that um, and keep building on that, that trusting relationship perpetually. Oh, I agree. Great advice. A good point from Jeff Beals, author of Selling Saturdays. And now we're moving to the last segment of the show, Jeff, where ask you some questions or give me some uh, rapid fire answers. Actually, the first one might take a little, little more than one, one word to answer. Um, okay. So 
have a hypothetical scenario for you. I pose this to each of my guests. You've been brought onto a company as a new sales manager, new sales leader, and company that's all sales have stalled, stagnated, upper management wants things to change in a hurry. So what are the two things you do in the first week on the job that would have the biggest impact? First thing I would do is I would do a thorough assessment of all of the resources that are and are not available to me and my sales team. Because I think one of the key roles of a sales leader is to be a resource provider. Um, the second thing I would do is I would have an in-depth interview with every single salesperson to learn everything I possibly could about what makes them tick. You said you wanted a quick answer, so I gave two. Fast. They're perfect. All right. <laughs> so next question. What's okay. the most powerful tool in your sales arsenal? I think it's the story I have to share. You know, and, and in some ways that's kind of hypocritical because I was just talking about how important it is to uh, spend the time to determine whatever it is they truly value. But but once you know what that is, you have to have something special, a story to share, uh, uh, an angle that's unique. And, and so I think ultimately that's what's most important, at least in terms of differentiating me from the variety of other people they could choose. Okay. Who's your sales role model? Um, I have several. And uh, in addition to Andy Paul, um, <laughs> uh, another one would be Mark Hunter who is a, a speaker sales consultant that yep. lives in the same town as I do and has been a heck of a mentor to me uh, in many ways. So I would, I would give Mark that credit. Excellent. So what's the one book that every salesperson should read? Um, other than Selling Saturdays, um, I like the books that uh, Jill Conrath has written quite a bit. Um, I've, I've learned a great deal from those. And uh, gosh, I could go on and on. There's so many, there's so many good ones out there. All right. So a book by Jill Conrath. Yeah. What's one tool that you use for sales or sales management that you can't live without? LinkedIn. Um, it is uh, my biggest source of prospecting. And uh, every week, it seems like I, I go and find yet another way to use it that I didn't know about before. So what's a new way you found to use it that you didn't know before? What did you learn this week? You know, I think uh, this week I've, I'm kind of doing in-mail a little bit differently. I'm trying to kind of target people a little bit differently for in-mail. And I've got a new ebook coming out, and I decided that uh, I am going to share that ebook um, using some in mail on LinkedIn. And I think that's going to be really powerful. All right. So, what's the favorite music you have to listen to to psych yourself up for a big sales call? I don't. <laughs> I, don't I, I, people, people probably think I'm a horrible person because I'm the only guy in the world that doesn't. Uh, um, have a favorite song or a favorite group, and I'm the only guy in the world that uh, that I know who doesn't have a dog. So it seems like everyone gives me a hard time for not being a dog guy and not being a music guy. Uh, I listen to talk radio, Andy. Talk radio. You listen to podcasts like mine. Exactly. 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 This is what psychs you up for a sales call. Actually, so, it kind of does. So what's the one like question? The I'm sorry, what? I listen to stuff like this all the time. Good, good, good. So what's the one question you get asked most frequently by salespeople? Probably something along the lines of, what can I do that makes me stand out, get noticed, and be different from everyone else? That's a great question. And how do you answer it? I say that no matter what it is that you sell, you have to sell through yourself first. People are the portals of profit. And as the old saying goes, we buy from people, not from businesses. And so I think uh, every company, and this is not just for their sales staff, by the way, but I think every company in the world needs to invest in getting their individual employees 
very well known in their circles of interest. Every person who works for a company needs to be a celebrity in their own sphere of interest. And we need to empower and deputize all employees to kind of be the face of the company. I have found that the companies I work with that make a commitment to that have business suddenly coming into them from multiple directions. And, and, and too many companies say, well, you know, that's the role of the sales team or that's the role of, uh, of the executives or whatever. Yes, but it's everyone's role. Specifically for a salesperson, you need to make sure that uh, a lot of people who have an influence over your success know you and have heard of you so that when the products you sell or the services you provide become a need in their head, your name and your face pops into that head and you're the first one they call. Yeah. And when they call you and they look online and they check you out, they see that you stand for something, that you have some expertise in the areas they're concerned about. Yeah, that, that personal branding component of sales is vastly underrated uh, because, again, people want to have confidence in their sales person. You know, in this day and age, as you know so very well, uh, prospective clients are already pretty well schooled on your company and your products thanks to the Internet and the social media out there. So they're looking for the salesperson to be someone they can trust to guide them through the process, right? So, so the salesperson is much of a, a shepherd through the complicated processes they are an information provider they're more willing to use you as a shepherd if they can look and find all sorts of people talking about you or you have a public profile or they've heard of you or met you at some sort of event before that personal branding part of selling is far more important now than it was back when people didn't have all the information before right. they even called oh i agree yeah salespeople are the first line of differentiation these days in sales so Great answer to that question. I want to thank you for joining me. My guest today has been Jeff Beals, author of a book you should all check out called Selling Saturdays, uh, subtitled Blue Chip Sales Tips from College Football. Fascinating read about what we can learn about the process of selling from these people who are out in a very intense, extremely competitive sales environment 365 days a year. So Jeff, how can people find out more about you? Uh, simple. Just go to uh, jeffbeals.com, Beals, B-E-A-L-S. And um, all my stuff is there and my blog and everything else. Excellent. So thank you very much for joining me. Remember, people, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your sales and amp up your business. And if you've listened to the show today, I trust we helped you with that. So until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.